Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so the reading for today will be from the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. So Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. And I will be reading from NIV version. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by, this, uh, by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if, the, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, in 1990, that was, a lot of you were, were not born then yet, 1990, at his regular broadcast at Trinity Broadcasting uh, Network, televangelist Benny Hinn, I'm sure you've heard about him, threatened an unnamed pastor. He said, sometimes I wish God would give me a Holy Ghost machine gun. I'd blow your head off, he says on TV, uh, right there in front of millions of people. This threat, I'm sure it was not a serious threat, was directed to John MacArthur, the pastor of Grace Community Church in Southern California, because MacArthur has been a longtime critic of the charismatic Pentecostal movement, especially the prosperity gospel teachers on TV. Uh, so our text today disagrees uh, with our Pentecostal uh, brothers and sisters, especially those who are prosperity gospel 
teachers on TV. So in our text, Paul describes all true believers as those who are not condemned by God to eternal death, but have the spirit of life. True Christians are also indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and therefore their life is guided by the Spirit. And because they are saved by Jesus, the Son of God, who has been raised by the Spirit of God, they also become children of God, and therefore they are, they are heirs of God's promises of all blessings in the heavenly places. And so today we will meditate on this theme, comfort in the spirit of life. And uh, we have uh, three points. The, you know, that's the usual traditional uh, Presbyterian reform. If you have only two points, it's not Presbyterian enough. Oh, okay, so three points. Uh, the first one is we have comfort in the spirit of life because there is no condemnation in Christ. So we read that in verses 1 through 4. So one of the most popular uh, programs on TV is a crime story, especially if it's a true crime story. My wife and I are obsessed with those. No, not really. Um, uh, so how investigators solve the crime, uh, the trial of the suspect, the verdict and the sentence and the aftermath in the life of the guilty criminal and also the life of the loved ones of the victim. So the most suspenseful scene in the courtroom is a courtroom scene when the foreman of the jury is called and uh, he is asked by the judge, uh, uh, have you reached a verdict? And the foreman says, yes, we have reached a verdict. And so the judge says, well, what is your verdict? And then he will say, or she will say, on the charge of murder in the first degree, we find the defendant. And then there is a little pause um, with the camera scanning the paces of the family, the suspect, I mean the defendant, uh, the judges. And um, we find the defendant guilty or not guilty. And then uh, a guilty verdict, of course, means the criminal is condemned to, to prison or even to death. And then a not guilty verdict uh, acquits the accused and he, is, uh, he walks free from all the charges. So what, what if on judgment day you were standing before God in the heavenly courtroom and God is the judge in the heavenly courtroom, and he declares his verdict on you, on the charge of being sinful, unrepentant, and unbelieving, guilty. And that would be the most horrible moment of your life because the sentence is condemnation to eternal punishment in hell. But if you have trusted and embraced Christ as your Savior, he is your advocate by your side, and God will declare you not guilty. Why? Because you are acquitted of all the charges against you as a sinner. God declares you acquitted because all your sins, excepting none, all your sins have been transferred to Jesus, 
as your advocate. So your lawyer, uh, he is found guilty instead of you. Uh, he was condemned to death on the cross as the eternal pen penalty for all the sins that you have committed, not his sins, because he has no sin. And you walk free of any wrongdoing into the heavenly places. This is what verses uh, 1 and 2 of our text uh, says, uh, declares. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And so when you repented of your sin and believed in Christ as your Savior, it was the Holy Spirit who changed your heart and mind to repent and believe in Christ. Therefore, the Spirit is called the Spirit of life because He has caused you to inherit eternal life in Christ. So that is the no condemnation in Christ. So why does Paul call the law the law of sin and death? So it is this. All mankind is condemned to death. All sin. All violate God's law. And because through Adam's one sin against God's law, sin came into the whole world because he was the covenant head of all mankind. So everyone after him are, uh, is born sinner. Everyone is conceived and born with a sinful nature, which Paul calls the flesh. When Christ came in human flesh and blood and sacrificed himself on the cross for all the sins of all his people, he condemned sin in our sinful nature. How did he do this? He was able to do this because he lived a perfect, sinless, righteous life from birth to death. He did this, it says in our text, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So this is why uh, he often told his disciples that he came to do his father's will, his father's commandments, as he declared in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He fulfilled every single commandment of the law that his father required of his people Israel, that his people Israel failed to do. Every single commandment of God in the law of Moses they failed to do. Romans 5.1, uh, which uh, Pastor Andes mentioned this morning, and also 8.1, our text, a part of our text, uh, says the same thing. In Romans 5.1, Paul has a positive comfort for us. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in uh, Christ. I mean, uh, that is uh, 5.1, uh, there is a positive comfort. Therefore, since we have ju been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 8.1, this is a negative assurance. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
So justification and condemnation are opposites. To be justified before God is to be declared not guilty by God. To be condemned before God is to be pronounced guilty by God. So what words can be sweeter to our ears than to hear God declare on judgment day, you have been justified by faith. Therefore, you are now my friends. You are now not my enemies. So how sweet and comforting is that to our ears and to our hearts. So that is the first comfort in the spirit of life, that there is no, therefore now, no condemnation in Christ. The second thing is, the, the second comfort in the spirit of life is God dwells in you. And so we read that in verses 5 through 11. So in verse 9, Paul assures us, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Holy Spirit, of the Spirit, if indeed the Holy Sp uh, the Spirit of God lives in you. And so this is uh, our second point. God dwells in us, all of us believers, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. What does God mean by this word, dwelling? So the Greek word literally means to reside or to dwell in a place. So we dwell in our own homes or we dwell in Riga. Um, Paul uses the same word in verse 11 where he says that the same spirit, he says in verse 11, um, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. And so uh, he also says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So in, since the spirit of God dwells in us believers, then we as God's people are also God's Temple. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 3.16. God dwelling in us and with us is a major theme in the Bible. So God dwelt with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He dwelt with the Israelites in the tabernacle in the wilderness and in the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus came down from heaven as the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among his people. That is the uh, literal word used in the Old Testament and even in, the New, uh, in the, uh, both Old Testament and New Testament. He tabernacled with us, his people, forever. So in, in the coming new heaven and new earth, God will dwell with his people forever. So we read in Revelation 21, 3, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Uh, that is so exciting. And so we're looking forward to that. Although he dwells with us now, 
Um, it is not yet completely perfect and final. In the new heaven and earth, it will be complete and final and perfect. And what are the implications of God dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit? Paul explains three implications in, in verses 5 through 11. So first, those who are indwelt by the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So he says, um, verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have the mind set on the what flesh, what the flesh desires, but those who live according to the Spirit, uh, in accordance with the Spirit, have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. So Paul also exhorts us in Colossians 3, 1 to 2, similar words. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, not on things that are on earth. But unbelievers who do not have this indwelling spirit set their minds on the things of the flesh, earthly and temporal things that do not have any value at all in eternity. So in total contrast with unrepentant sinners, the Spirit gives life and peace to us who repent and believe in Christ. So then in verses 7 and 8, Paul says something that is most troubling, troubling even to faithful Christians. So he says in verse uh, 7 and 8, verses 7 and 8, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And so those who do not have the Spirit of God are hostile to God and have no regard whatsoever for God's law. They willfully and rebelliously violate God's law. They do not have, want to have anything to do with God because God will choke their ungodly passions and desires. So just a casual glance at the culture around you, uh, around everywhere in the world, almost, politics and movements around us confirm the truthfulness of God's assessment of this shameless, wicked culture and people. Furthermore, Paul says not only that they are unwilling, unwilling, and have no desire to obey God's laws, they are also unable to obey God's law. They cannot. That's what Paul says in, in these verses. They cannot, unwilling and unable to obey God. This is the state of all people without the indwelling of the Spirit. Why are they unable and unwilling to obey God? Because the scriptures say that they are dead, dead in their sins. If 
Ephesians 2 verse 1. All those who do not believe and repent of their sin, who do not believe in Christ, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. Can dead people respond to a call or comment? Of course not. That is the state of Lazarus when he was dead for four days. Uh, how did we, how did he hear Christ's call? Lazarus, come out of you, of the tomb. How did he hear that when he was dead? Because the Holy Spirit uh, gave him life first. And then when he had life, he heard what uh, uh, Jesus' command, the same thing with the valley of the dry bones. So the Spirit uh, raised the, the, the bones um, and they formed ligaments. And the Spirit says, rise. Um, and, and they became an army. They rose. How did these bones, how did these bodies uh, hear? the command of the Holy Spirit. When they are dead, the Holy Spirit gave them life first before they heard. And so that is the state of unbelievers who do not uh, hear the word of God, who are unwilling and also unable to hear God's word. So because the Spirit of God, the life-giving Spirit, does not dwell in them, so there is no change in their minds and hearts. They continue to be wicked, evil, unrighteous, unholy, and rebellious against God. Jesus says of them in his conversation with Nicodemus, unless they are born of the Spirit, they cannot enter the kingdom of God. If they do not have the Spirit of Christ, then they are not Christians, and they do not belong to Christ, Paul says in our text. So therefore, when a Christian says he was saved by his own free will decision to accept Jesus as Savior, he is deceived or he is wrong. Um, no human being understands God and seeks for God. Romans 3, 10 to 11 says, no one seeks for God. No one understands. And then he repeats and he emphasizes, no, not even one. So that is the state of all unbelievers. If the Holy Spirit does not give life to, I mean, uh, illumine uh, anyone in the whole world, the whole world would have perished long time ago. Um, and so um, he says that uh, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, we also read the natural person, the, the person who is not a Christian. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, for they are foolishness to him. And he is not able he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually blinded. One who is not indwelt by the Spirit is the natural person. What are the characteristics of this person who is blinded? 
First, he rejects the things of the Spirit as foolishness. Second, he has no ability to understand them because Satan has blinded him. And, and so when the Spirit opens that person's mind and heart, he is able not only to understand the things of God, but also to accept them as truths. So this is how a person is saved. He is first regenerated or born again by the Spirit, and then the Spirit gives him faith. And so we're, we're uh, thinking we only see the outward uh, result of the work of the Holy Spirit when a person believes. But before that, and behind the scenes, the Spirit has given him life, and then he is able to have faith and repentance. So that is the, the, the first uh, implication, is that the, the Spirit, those who are indwelt by the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The second implication of the Spirit indwelling us is the, uh, the promise of life, of new life today and for eternity. So in verse 4, Paul says that uh, true believers, he says in verse 4, true believers um, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So in, in verse 13, they put to death the deeds of the body, sinful deeds. So their behavior, decisions, and priorities are according to God's law through the power of the Holy Spirit. They love the Word of God by regularly attending the worship services and Bible studies like this. They long for the Holy Communion because they love communion, uh, communing with Christ in the, in, in the church. They love fellowshipping with the people of God, especially during worship services. This is not true for almost seven out of 10 American, um, American evangelicals who claim to be Christians, but rarely and or never attend church. And this is according to a 2018 Pew Research survey. Seven out of 10 Americans who claim to be Christians never or very, very uh, seldom rare um, in church attendance. Jesus himself tells us, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And how are we wretched sinners able to obey him? Jesus assures you that you have another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. So Jesus calls the Holy Spirit another helper. Uh, in some translations, it's another comforter. Um, he helps and he comforts. So on the night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed to his Father in heaven. He says this in his prayer in John 17, that he has given his disciples his word of truth, and they have believed and they have kept, uh, kept his word, John 17. Uh, a true believer understands, accepts, and obeys God's word and believes in Jesus 
as the Son of God, whom God sent to save us from all our sins. So that's the second outcome of the Spirit dwelling in us. The third outcome is that we will also be raised to eternal life on the last day, just as Jesus himself was raised on the third day after he was crucified. So in verses 10 to 11, we read that even when we are physically alive, our bodies are dead, considered dead because of sin. Um, we are walking dead. So um, Paul says that we are like zombies, walking dead because of, because of our sin uh, in, in our bodies also. But the indwelling spirit is the spirit of life who gives our souls the perfect obedience of Christ. And through the work of the spirit, our dead hearts are made alive, transferred from death into life in Christ. Since the Holy Spirit gives life, he also raised our Lord from death. And on the last day, this same life-giving spirit will awaken our dead, literally dead bodies in the graves to be immortal and incorruptible bodies, never to die again. So we read of uh, some people in the Bible who were uh, raised from the dead. Uh, the, the, the boy uh, that Elijah raised from the dead, Lazarus was raised from the dead by Christ. Uh, a woman named Dorcas was raised by uh, the Apostle Paul. Um, uh, are they still alive today? No, no, they, they died. Uh, there's no Lazarus here walking around 2,000 years old, uh, or Dorcas, or, you know, uh, 3,000-year-old uh, people. No, they all died. But when we are raised from the grave by the Spirit, on the last day, we will never die again, like our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he will then, afterwards, reunite our souls that are now in heaven, or the souls of those who are dead now uh, that are in heaven, he will reunite them with their own bodies on the last day when he returns from heaven. And so we will be complete body and soul, both perfect bodies and perfect souls together in the new heaven and new earth. So lastly, uh, the last comfort in the spirit of God is we are children and heirs of God. And so we read that in verses 12 to 17. So this is the, the fourth and last result of the indwelling of the Spirit in us, that we are children of God. And therefore, God is our Father in heaven, and Christ is our elder brother. So in verses 14 to 17, Paul affirms that true believers are children of God. Before we were saved, we were slaves. We were slaves of sin and the devil. As spirit indwelt people, we are now adopted children of God. Uh, this is because only Jesus is the true divine son of God. But 
Even adopted children, as we all know, some of you might have adopted children. Our adopted children have all the rights and privileges and inheritance of uh, our, uh, our other children. So we as adopted children of God, we have all the rights and privileges and inheritance of the true son of God. And what is our inheritance? Our inheritance is the new heaven and new earth that is coming when Christ returns. We will have new and perfect bodies and souls. We will dwell forever with God. We will forever be with all of God, with God's spirit indwelt people. We will forever have joy and peace because all sins and sufferings and death will pass away. In other words, our inheritance is eternal life. And what is our guarantee of this inheritance as children of God? So Paul in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, he answers this question. What is the guarantee? He says that we were sealed with a promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it through uh, to the praise of his glory. So the Holy Spirit that is indwelling you, who is indwelling you right now as believers, he is like a down payment. The, the meaning of the word guarantee here is like the meaning of down payment. So we, we put a 10% down payment on the car, on the house, and that is our guarantee to the seller that we will, in time, when everything is fully paid, that we will get that house or car uh, for ourselves. The, the bank will not own them anymore. It is us who own them. And so this is the spirit uh, guarantees us when Jesus returns from heaven, it is not only the down payment, the, but the full payment, our full inheritance will be with us, will be given to us by God. And that is the inheritance of eternal life. And so through the indwelling spirit, God seals his decree that we are his children, like a king who certifies his decrees with his own personal seal and signature. Therefore, God protects and preserves us until we acquire our inheritance in heaven. And so we must not uh, think about or worry about or be so concerned that sometimes we think uh, we might lose our guarantee of eternal life because we have done so many bad things in our lives. Uh, those do not count. When you repent of your sins and believe in Christ, there is no condemnation. You are guaranteed. You will not lose this inheritance. So remember that this inheritance is for eternity. And so beloved brothers and sisters in Christ here in Riga, our comfort in this life 
and in the next is the Holy Spirit who gives us eternal life. How are we sure of this? We have God's promises and assurances in his word. But we also have this assurance that from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself, who himself bears witness to our, with our spirit, that we are children of God. We know because the Holy Spirit uh, uh, guarantees that this. He bears witness to our own spirits, our own souls, that we are children of God. So we do not go around walking around, am I saved or am I not saved? Uh, am I one of the elect or uh, maybe I'm not one of the chosen ones uh, because we have, we have done some, some bad things in our lives. Internally, in our hearts and our minds, the Spirit assures us that we are God's children with an inheritance in eternity. Therefore, when we come to God's throne of grace in prayer, we have the right and privilege to address him as our Father, my Father in heaven, just as our Lord Jesus addresses his Father. The word Abba is a term of endearment, so we also call him dear Heavenly Father. Our dear Heavenly Father. We can call him that because we are guaranteed by the Spirit that we are his children. Our communion with him is deep and personal because the indwelling Spirit endears us to him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your words. Sometimes they are sometimes uh, not very clear to us, and not uh, sometimes even confusing, uh, confusing. But when we study your word in our personal uh, studies and also in our studies with our community of believers, uh, we are guaranteed of your uh, Holy Spirit, by your Holy Spirit, that we are children of God and that he gives us uh, understanding and acceptance of your word. And we thank you and we ask that you will, uh, your spirit be with us wherever we are, wherever we go, and whatever uh, we are doing because he indwells us. And so he helps us live obedient and faithful lives in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.